The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. Reuniting with the loved one, that's a good day. Being caught up with Christ, ushered into heaven, and reunited with loved ones for eternity, that's a great day. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah begins his new series, The Great Disappearance, to help you understand and prepare for this incredible day and the event known as the rapture. To introduce his message, A Great Day, here's David. And I want to thank you for joining us as we begin this new series together. This is actually from the book called The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready. The rapture could occur at any moment, even today. If it did, would you be ready? In The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready by Dr. David Jeremiah. He explains exactly what will happen before, at the moment of, and after the rapture. In 31 short, easy-to-read chapters, Dr. Jeremiah answers questions like, Will children be raptured? What will happen to our bodies at the moment of resurrection? And will those left behind still have an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior? Drawing from decades of biblical study, Dr. Jeremiah answers all these questions and many more, not with sensationalism, but with solid biblical truth. This is Motivational Prophecy, inspiring you to live boldly and expectantly in today's world. Request The Great Disappearance by Dr. Jeremiah, plus the Perhaps Today bookmark. When you give a gift of any amount in support of the ministry of Turning Point, be rapture ready. Request The Great Disappearance book from Turning Point today. You can get a copy of this book from Turning Point by simply sending a gift to us. Send your gift of any size and then ask for your copy of the book, The Great Disappearance, and uh, we'll send it to you right away. Well, let's begin our discussion. So listen up, get your Bible, take some notes, and let's study God's Word. In all of his mansions... There's not a room big enough for all of his awards. Sir Paul McCartney may go down in history as the greatest musician of all time, a founding member of the Beatles and a man who became, as the Guinness Book of Record records, the planet's most honored composer and performer in music. Those who know him know it's been a rough ride. Some of his hardest days were after the Beatles broke up. McCartney tumbled into a dark place. He stayed in his Scottish home smoking pot and getting drunk. He lost hope. I mean, after all, how do you follow the Beatles? Is their life after that kind of a role? McCartney's turnaround started when the chords of a song came to him. One he'd worked on for a long time, and the music made him feel optimistic. And he worked it into a song for his children. He didn't record it until years later, but for him it was a personal song of hope. He called the song, Great Day. And the lyrics talked about a future day that was coming, and it was going to be a great day. And it wouldn't be long in coming, so it was something to look forward to, something to celebrate. 
And McCartney explained, I like the idea of a song that says something's coming and there's a bright light on the horizon. He said, I have absolutely no evidence for this. But I like to believe it. It helps lift my spirits. Paul McCartney doesn't know how close he is to the truth. There is a great day coming. And it won't be long. And there is a bright light on the horizon. And we have plenty of evidence for it. We have biblical evidence. And boy, does it lift your spirits. Jesus Christ is coming back for us. And he's coming back soon. If only McCartney realized that. If only the whole world, this world filled with hopelessness and despair, if only the world could realize this truth. Zephaniah put it this way. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The Apostle Paul talked excitedly about this in one of his letters to Timothy He said, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. This is a message about a great day that's coming. The day of the rapture. The exact date is already circled on God's calendar. We aren't privy to that calendar, but the year, month, day, hour, minute, and second are locked into the program of God for our planet. The rapture, as you know, is an event in the impending future when all of us, living or deceased, who have put our trust in Christ for salvation and eternal life, will be suddenly caught up from this earth into the heavens. We'll be reunited with loved ones who have preceded us in death. We'll be met by the Lord himself who will usher us into heaven to live forever with him in perfect fellowship. Now the major truth concerning this coming event is found in three scriptures. John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians 4. John 14 presents our Lord's statement about the many mansions in heaven. You remember that one. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, there's the rapture, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants you to be where he is. He wants you to be with him. 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter. But the chapter that outlines what's going to happen in the rapture in the very best way is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, in the story of the rapture, if you liken it to a hymn, there are five stanzas. Five things that are going to happen when Jesus comes back. The first is his own return. It says in verse 16 of chapter 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. According to the scripture, the return of the Lord at the rapture will be announced by three spectacular sounds. The first of that is the Lord himself will ascend with a shout. The Greek word used to describe the Lord's shout is a word that was used to describe a commander coming out of his tent 
and issuing a command to his followers. Scripture shows us a similar moment in the book of John in the New Testament when Jesus stood outside of the tomb of Lazarus. And remember what he said, Lazarus, come forth. It was the resurrection command. And I've heard Bible students speculate as to what might have happened if he hadn't called Lazarus by name. Would all of the dead and all of the world have come forth when he said, come forth? At the rapture, that is exactly what will happen. Jesus will shout, come forth. And it won't be a name or a single individual, but it will be heard by every believer in every grave around the world. And all those tombs will be emptied and the resurrected believers will go up to be with Jesus. The sound of the Lord's command. But it's not the only sound. The second sound is the sound of Michael's voice. The Bible says, with the voice of an archangel. Now, there's only one archangel mentioned in the Bible, and that's Michael. And we know from Scripture that's who he is. And the archangel in the Bible will also lend his voice to the rapture. And then third is the trumpet sound. And the trumpet of God, says the Scripture. This sound heard at the rapture will be the trumpet of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says it is the last trumpet. When the rapture trumpet blows, the blast will surround the earth like an echo chamber, reverberating into the soul of every ascending Christian. It will be loud enough to wake the dead, literally. John Walver described this for us so we can understand it in our world as we observe it today. He said, The rapture trumpet will call all Christians to rise from the earth to meet the Lord in the air, and from there they will go to heaven, as Christ promised in John 14, 3. Then he noticed that the last trumpet for the church is analogous to the last trumpet used in the Roman army. Soldiers were awakened by a first trumpet in the morning that was kind of their alarm clock. The second trumpet assembled them for instructions for the day, and the third and last trumpet they marched off to their assignments. So in the rapture, receiving salvation is like hearing the trumpet call. Then the Lord calls us to serve him. That's the second trumpet. And the third or last trumpet, we go to heaven. The last trumpet. I've always been interested in the life of Winston Churchill. I have a bust of him in my office. A lot of interesting stories about him, but you probably haven't heard this one. He designed his own funeral, and he incorporated into his funeral the meaning of the trumpet in 1 Thessalonians 4. He arranged for a trumpeter to sound the last post, or taps, as we know it, from the highest reaches of the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral, the long, slow ballad echoed mournfully throughout the ancient church as diplomats and dignitaries bowed their heads. The dirge was a ruthless reminder that Britain's hero had finally been conquered. As the last sorrowful note faded, a second trumpeter suddenly sounded revelry, high from another gallery. This too was arranged by Churchill. The great statesman wanted to remind everybody that sleep is followed by a triumphant call to rise up and go. Taps followed by reveille. That's what it will be like for us. For all who perish before the return of the Lord, 
our lives will follow a similar pattern. We will sleep, but at the rapture, the trumpet blast will be a reveille calling us to awaken and go to be with the Lord. So the first stanza of the rapture is the return. The second stanza is the resurrection in verses 15 and 16. Here we read that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, for the dead in Christ will rise first. So when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, he will begin by summoning to himself those who are asleep. Someone said that describes the crowd in church at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Paul's terminology is New Testament language, which identifies Christians who have died. That's the terminology the New Testament used to describe a Christian who has died, somebody who has fallen asleep. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. John 11, 11, these things he said, and after he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, I go that I may wake him up. Was Lazarus asleep or was he dead? Both. He was dead, but in New Testament language, he was asleep. He was really dead. Remember, he'd been four days dead, and they were describing the aroma that surrounded his tomb. Acts 7 says, Stephen knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The concept of death in the New Testament is emphasized in a wonderful word that early Christians adopted for burying places of their loved ones. It was the Greek term koimaterion, which means a rest house for strangers, a sleeping place. It is the word from which we get our English word cemetery. In Paul's day, the word was used for inns or what we would call a hotel or a motel. We check into a Hilton or a Ramada Inn and we expect to spend the night there and sleep before we wake up in the morning refreshed and raring to go. In the New Testament, that was the image of what it meant to die as a Christian, to go to sleep and your body goes in the hotel. And Paul thought this out so carefully. When Christians die, it is as if they are slumbering peacefully in a place of rest, ready to be awakened at the return of the Lord. The words have great import, for they convey the Christian concept of death, which is not a tragic finality, but a temporary sleep. And the Bible teaches that those who are sleeping in Jesus will not be left out of the rapture. Let me put in a little parenthesis here to help you understand what's going on in this passage. Paul had once gone to Thessalonica to teach. And if you read his epistles to the Thessalonians, they're almost all about his return in some form of it. He had taught the Thessalonians that Jesus was going to come back and take them to heaven. But he didn't get to finish his sermon because persecution came and he had to leave the city rapidly. So the Thessalonians were okay with the fact that Jesus was going to come and get them, but they didn't know what was going to happen to all of their loved ones who had already gone ahead and were buried. What's going to happen to them? Are they going to be left behind? 
And Jesus said, no, I don't want you to be ignorant about that, believers. I have a plan for that. Not only will they not be left behind, they're going to go up first. They're going to precede you in the rapture. Someone said they have to go up first because they have six feet further to go. But I don't know if that's true. In other words, if I am still alive when my Jesus comes back, I will not ascend skyward until my parents go up first. They will be caught up first. The rapture is initially for those who have been saved and whose bodies are resting in cemeteries. The well-known quadriplegic Bible teacher, Johnny Erickson, tells about a time when her mother-in-law bought a graveyard spot for her at Forest Lawn Cemetery. But she wouldn't sign the papers until Johnny and her husband, Ken, inspected the lot and gave their approval. So one Sunday afternoon, Ken and Johnny drove out there and found the location of their grave sites in a section called Murmuring Pines. They listened to the sales representative as she spoke about what a good view it was, (laughs) where her feet would be and where her head would be and so forth. Johnny said she was a little disinterested in the presentation. And a few minutes later, while the family conferred over the paperwork, she said, I powered my wheelchair onto the top of my grave site and I turned to gaze at the range of mountains. A profound peace settled over the scene. Suddenly it struck me. I was sitting on the exact spot where my actual body will rise from the grave should I die before Christ returns. She thought about the wonder of that moment when her spirit would re-inhabit her body and she would suddenly be raised in perfection and glory. It was a moment of profound worship. It was holy ground for she knew She was sitting on the exact spot, not simply of her burial, but of her resurrection. My parents are buried in Cedarville, Ohio, in a little cemetery there. When I go to visit them, I should never say, this is where my parents are buried. I should say, this is the place from which my parents are going to go to heaven someday, from this plot and from this plot. The return and the resurrection. The third stanza in this hymn is the redemption. And I borrow this from 1 Corinthians, for this is what it says. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, It is raised a spiritual body. Here is some wonderful news for everyone here today, everyone listening on the Internet or wherever you may be watching or listening. At some point in the future, you are going to get an upgrade on your body. (laughs) You're going to get a body that's top of the line in every respect. The rapture is going to spark a resurrection renaissance across the globe. And Christians who died will live again, not only in a spiritual sense, but physically. The bodies of believers buried in the ground will come out of the ground. They will be raised up. And those bodies will be the same ones that went into the grave, though they will be transformed in many profound ways. Assuming that you and I pass away before the rapture, Our resurrected bodies on that day will be the same in essence. 
we will still be humans. You will be you, I will be me. But the resurrection body that emerges will be superior to the old body that you inhabit right now. These words apply not only to those who will be resurrected at the rapture, but those who are alive when the rapture happens. Our bodies will be changed. Specifically, here are some things that will change about us when we get our new bodies. Is anybody excited about a new body? I mean, maybe you drug yourself out of bed, drank four cups of coffee and came to church, and yeah, a new body sounds pretty good. First of all, we learn from studying the New Testament that our new bodies will be incapable of sickness or death. Our present bodies wear out and grow old, but our resurrection bodies will have no capacity for deterioration or decay. Your new body will be designed for eternity. It will not be subject to accident, disease, aging, or death. It will be pain-free, disease-free. It will never die. It will outlive the stars. That's the good thing about your new body. How about that? (laughs) Secondly, your new body will be identical to the body of the resurrected Jesus. This is a truth that often escapes people when they study this. But Philippians 3.20 makes it very clear. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The Bible tells us that when we are resurrected from the grave or when we are caught up to be with the Lord in the rapture, we will get bodies that are just like the body Jesus had when he was resurrected. So you say, well, what kind of body is that? Well, you can find out a little bit about it by investigating what happened to Jesus after he was resurrected. He was on this earth for 40 days, and some interesting things happened to him. During his post-resurrection appearances, here's some good news for everybody. Jesus ate with his disciples. When you get to heaven, you will be able to eat. I mean, for some of you, it wouldn't be heaven if you couldn't eat. How many of you know food occupies one of two things for us? We either eat to live or we live to eat. Well, the Bible says when we get to heaven, we'll have a body like Jesus. And we know from studying his resurrection body that he was able to eat. On one occasion, he cooked breakfast for his disciples, John 21. Now, it is true that we will be able to eat, but we may not have to eat. You won't have to eat, but you'll be able to eat. And you'll be able to enjoy. And the Bible tells us that in heaven there are going to be some pretty cool trees and plants and things growing. And you probably want to check those out when you get there. The body of Christ was not only a body that could eat, but it was also a body that could be touched. Listen to me. We're not going to heaven like Casper the ghost. I promise you that. We're not going to have, you know, little ghost-like bodies. We're going to have real tangible bodies like Jesus had when he came out of the grave. Do you remember that he had this little incident with Thomas and Thomas didn't believe it was him? And Jesus said to him in John 20, 27, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Jesus' body was tangible and touchable and huggable. And so will our bodies be. 
We'll have more about this tomorrow uh, with part two. Uh, I want to mention to you that we're going to the Caribbean. And we're going to leave on the 27th of December and return on the 7th of January. It's kind of our annual conference cruise at the end of a busy season. And this year, we'll be leaving on the 27th from Fort Lauderdale and visiting all kinds of great places. It's an 11-day cruise and features Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and the Martins, who will be with us uh, for music. And the entire program is presented by Turning Point, and it will be a wonderful occasion for you to recover from the stress of the season and be blessed in your heart by music and the worship and by teaching from the Word of God and the unique fellowship that comes uh, when we get together with each other. For more information about the Caribbean cruise, let me encourage you to go to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org slash events. There's a beautiful brochure available. You can download it online or have it sent to you. But the Caribbean Conference Cruise is December the 27th through the 7th of January. It's a wonderful way to end the old year and begin the new with good friends, with the Word of God, with beautiful scenery, an incredible ship, and with a wonderful time together. We hope you'll come and be with us. Find out about it at davidjeremiah.org slash events. We hope you'll join us. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Great Disappearance, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new hardcover book, The Great Disappearance. 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready, Informative and Inspiring. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Great Disappearance, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. It is said that Abraham Lincoln never forgot a kindness, but never remembered a wrong. The English preacher W. Graham Scroggie called that the morality of memory, choosing to remember the good while choosing to forget the bad. If that tradition about Lincoln is true, it may be because he had read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, 
There Paul wrote that love keeps no record of wrongs. Paul didn't literally mean that we can force ourselves to forget wrongs suffered, but he does mean that we can choose not to act on them. We can choose to view others like God does with unconditional love. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's love on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.